0: Hey, survivalists. This is The Crux: True Survival Stories. And I'm your host, Casey McIntosh. And I'm joined here by her super cool sister, Tessa King. Today, we will be telling Harrison O'Kenna's story. A young man trapped inside a boat 100 feet underwater struggles to maintain a positive outlook as he waits submerged in water for 60 plus hours. <laughs> On the morning of May 26th, 2013, the Jaskin-4 tugboat was stabilizing a tanker at the Chevron platform in the Gulf of Guinea near the oil-rich Delta waters, Esgraves, Nigeria, when a storm capsized the boat, trapping all 12 onboard workers.
1: It was called the Jackson 4
0: The Jaskin. (laughs) Okay. I know. (laughs) I know. It sounds a little bit... uh... Poppy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Maybe it got more attention. I don't know. Um, but anyway, the project manager of a Dutch company, DNC Diving, was called to the scene of the Jaskin pour to retrieve bodies. So the outlook was bleak, to say the least. Yike. Mm-hmm. So they've been working on a neighboring oil field 75 miles away. They, At the point at which things got interesting, they'd already removed four bodies from this tugboat. The guy that was in charge, his name is Walker. We'll just call him Walker. He was, <laughs> Walker. yeah, he's highly respected <laughs> for real in Nigeria. <laughs> yeah, He sounds British on the YouTube video, but anyway, he was watching the mission from a screen when he saw a hand appear and everyone assumed it was another corpse. And Walker says the diver acknowledged that he had seen the hand and then he went to grab the hand and the hand grabbed him. Ugh. Yeah. So it was frightening for everybody, he said, for the guy that was trapped because he didn't know what was happening. And um, it was a shock for the diver, obviously, because he was looking for bodies and, you know, the hat, the hand grabbed him. And anyway, it was, everybody probably uh, was pretty surprised. As if it's not
1: spooky enough to be looking for corpses in the dark or- ocean. In and- an
0: upside down tugboat. Yeah. Yes. So, on the video, the rescuer is startled and surprised, no joke, obviously, obviously, when he realizes that Okana is alive, he exclaims, there's a survivor, he's alive. Walker said Okana had a limited time left underwater where he was found, meaning that, you know, his ability to stay alive much longer than that moment was pretty limited. Um... He, he mentioned he's incredibly lucky that he had an air pocket that would have had a limited time before he wouldn't be able to breathe anymore. So a little bit about Harrison O'Kenna. He's a graduate in hotel and catering management, and he was the catering officer on the boat. And um, he was a very, he's a very religious individual, and he woke up on the morning of May 26, 2013, around 4.30 a.m., And um, some of what I got in terms of the story was from a YouTube video where he was being interviewed called The Heart of the Matter. And he describes his experience. And what he says is that he woke up because the sea was hitting the vessel from both sides. Um, And I guess he wasn't real alarmed because he'd already been on the boat for two weeks and three days and they had experienced rough water and storms in the past. And apparently May is the like the middle of the rain season there. So probably some rough weather is to be expected.
1: Yeah, it's no big deal.
0: It's no big deal. He just, he was like, all right, I I guess I'm getting up for the day. And he read in his Bible and did a little devotional time and prayed. And then he was like, all right, it's time to go empty my bladder. So he (laughs) went to the bathroom. As you do. As you do. And so he goes into the bathroom and all of a sudden there's a sudden lurch and – the first sound that he hears after that sudden lurch is that people are yelling that the boat is sinking and the light goes off and the boat tipped over completely. He's upside down down in the tiny
1: bathroom stall. Mm -hmm.
0: And it sounded like he was kind of locked in there at first Yeah, in the dark, in the dark. And he was, so he says I was dazed and everywhere was dark and I was thrown from one end of the small cubicle to another and he said that in um, an interview with Nigeria's Nation newspaper. He didn't see anybody, but he was shouting, Jesus, and is there a way out? And he's trying to get out, but the door was locked. And so at that point, there was no water in the vessel. Mm-hmm. It's just all of a sudden on its head. So he obviously puts two and two together, and he tries to open the door to get out. Because probably at that point, he's thinking, i got to get out of here so I can get out of the boat. Mm-hmm because i mean i don't know i don't know what the survival would have been like even if he got out like what is the water what are the water conditions you and know this is probably a spoiler but did
1: all other 11 passengers die on this
0: yes but i don't think
1: that he was aware of that well i just mean in terms of if they were on a different spot in the tugboat if they had a better chance of getting out cuz If nobody else survived, it probably wouldn't have made a difference if he had made it out of the bathroom or not.
0: But you have to realize too, it was 4.30 in the morning and is everyone even awake at that point? Right. The time of day is questionable, but even if he had been able to get out, would you survive that kind of, I don't know exactly what the weather was like or Mm -hmm. how the waves were, but. And how fast are you sinking once the boat is upside down? Yeah, I don't, I have no idea. probably was relatively fast Mm -hmm. because it's, I'm sure, heavy so he notes that the glass mirrors are breaking in the bathroom and he joins three he was able to get out of the stall or the bathroom i'm not really sure what the situation is in terms of the layout of the bathroom but he gets out of there and he sees three or four other um, fellow employees if you will trying to get out of the boat and he starts going towards them and then the water starts rushing into the boat and it sounds like it was pretty forceful because it basically tipped one guy over then the next guy over then the next guy over and he had really no ability to make a decision at that point he had to go back to where he came he was basically pushed by the water and he just swam with it until he ended up in the engineering office and that's where he landed and luckily for whatever reason the water didn't fully fill up this cabin and there was an air pocket so he couldn't really tell how the door locked, but once he got in there, the the water probably pushed the door closed, and mm-hmm. he wasn't able to open it at that point. So then he feels himself like slowly, 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 or fast—I don't know. I mean, it, I'm sure it depends upon your level of anxiety and how much adrenaline you've got going on to to know like how fast are you really moving. But he feels the boat settle to the bottom.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So how far down is that? It's only a—it's hundred feet below the surface. So this is in a really deep area of the ocean. Yeah, and I'm thank sure goodness. it feels really deep when you're upside down in a boat. Yeah, but um, you know, it's not it's not like they were in the middle of the ocean. They're in a Gulf area, so he's you know shouting, "Jesus, Jesus, help me!" And he's thinking about his wife being left as a widow, and you know, he stated that he had some frustration because he had this opportunity to have this job on a boat, and like God gave him this opportunity, and now he's being punished by having to die in an upside down vessel by himself, essentially, you know, and he's very frustrated but probably terrified. I'm sure you
1: do a certain amount of bargaining when you're in a situation like that.
0: Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. So the water is really, really cold and his body is partially submerged. And he's hearing all of his his other crewmates shouting God help me. So all of these people, the people that he's hearing, they also have air pockets. Um, He couldn't see. You know, it's it's totally dark. To add one more level of horror. Yeah. Being upside down on a boat is terrifying enough, but imagine doing it in the dark. I don't Um,
1: know. I saw Jaws and it freaked me out it's pretty
0: scary <laughs> just a shark in the dark <laughs> i mean the dark well, it just elevates that level of fear and anticipation at least five notches up
1: well and something about the ocean deep water uh, yeah it's
0: scary it's scary absolutely Have you scary seen the fish at the bottom of the ocean they're the worst <laughs> they're pretty creepy looking so he at some point hears mentioned hearing this blub 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 and then that was all that he heard of his fellow crewmates so I don't know if that means that somehow the water filled up that part that portion of the boat Mm -hmm. and that was just it for them um he kind of lost his sense of time and he kept shouting and as I said he you know he couldn't hear this the sounds of his crewmates anymore and probably stopped yelling out to them so he's sitting there, and actually what he did was he layered up some mattresses and some other things that happened to be probably debris in that office, mm-hmm. and he was able to situate himself so he wasn't fully submerged in the water. But at some point he decides, I think, it's, I think I should try to get out of this boat. Was he ever at any point hypothermic? There was no mention of that. So I think, thankfully, he had a little extra adipose tissue, and uh, that helped maintain his <laughs> body temperature. Okay. So I mean, I'm not saying anything in a negative way. If ever there's a time to have a little extra of that, this would be the time. He was the caterer, right? So he was the caterer. If anyone was gonna have it. Yeah, he knew he knew how to enjoy fine cuisine. C- so. Cuisine. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: That's what, what they call it in Nigeria. <laughs> um, he was so he's wearing like boxer shorts. Is what it looked like, and nothing else. Not that it would have really been. I mean, maybe in some ways that was beneficial because mm-hmm. I don't know how. It, It'd be really hard to swim with clothes on, mm-hmm. but he decided to leave this office and try to get out. But when he got out of there, he, he actually was able to find a life vest with some flashlights and um, he found a few other things that were useful, maybe a hammer or something. I don't know all of the things that he found, but he tries to swim down and then there's a really strong current, which I don't know where this current is coming from, but it's also really, really cold. And he realizes there's no way I'm making it out of here like this. So he swims back with his stuff and, and he actually had marked the office so he could find his way back. And it sounded like some kind of rope or something that he used to identify the location that he had been before, Mm -hmm. which thank goodness he did that because I'm sure in the dark, I mean, it's miraculous that he found a flashlight in the first place
1: Right, and he would have had to feel his way back if he had not found a flashlight, so.
0: Yeah, terrifying. I know I've said that multiple times, but I'm not kidding you. That's super scary. Hansel and Gretel level. (laughs) Yes. So when he got back to that office, he he felt pretty safe in that space. I mean, he had an oxygen. As safe as you can. As safe as you can, given the circumstances. And he's getting colder and colder. You know, he starts thinking about, it's like the... 60 seconds of your life all compressed into one, you know what I mean? Like the Yeah, exactly. Montage. Exactly. All of your past experiences and thinking about your, your family and all your regrets. And he hadn't had any children yet. He's 29. Mm -hmm. Um, but thinking, Oh, I've been married for, he'd been married for five years and he, they hadn't had any kids yet. And Mm -hmm. he's thinking about his mom and his family and his friends. And he's also thinking about all these guys on the boat, all these crew members—ten Nigerians and his captain, who's Ukrainian—and he's worrying about: Did they survive? Are they okay? You know, just just thinking like it's sort of all every, all man, every man for for themselves. But but he's he's concerned about them. And the other thing is that just creeps me out beyond belief is that he could hear the sound of. What he said: fish, shark, or barracudas. What he supposed were eating something in the boat, like there are bodies in there. Oh, stop that! Ugh. Yeah, he can hear he he can hear thrashing out there, and just to think that not that long ago he'd been out there trying to find his way out of the boat. Mhm. Was that- it
1: confirmed that any sharks or?
0: sea life had eaten crew members or was it all in his head i didn't see anything about that but it's you know it would be the perfect opportunity for an animal like that to have an easy meal you know i mean i don't know if they found every single body that's a really good question i didn't even think about it when i was reading that i was too freaked out to think Mm -hmm. about it that's where my thought ended like "Ah." (laughs) walking out (laughs) Yeah, well, I can see how easy
1: it would be to imagine all of your crewmates being eaten in the dark ocean.
0: When you're hearing, I mean, he definitely heard sounds in there and w- whatever that was, I don't know. But when opportunity strikes, I mean, so you, know, you, would think, you would think, okay, you're pulling these bodies out. These, these divers are pulling bodies out that they would, you know, have recognized whether or not there were animals involved. But I didn't see anything to that effect. So after a little while his breathing becomes a little bit more difficult and he's used a lot of the oxygen in the air bubble somehow he's able to sleep in there which I that is completely beyond me how you're able to sleep when you're almost naked basically and wet from the waist down in really cold water but he probably was super exhausted at this point and he was able to get some sleep and he started to think like this is this is it and I would have probably had that thought a mm-hmm. long before that but and maybe he did but You know, you get to this point where you've been there, you know, over 48 hours, and and you're like, well, you know, this might Mm -hmm. be the end for me. And he hears boom, boom, boom on the bottom of the vessel right above him, and he was kind of fearful at first that they weren't going to find him. He had had a hammer, or he found a hammer somewhere, and so he was banging back. The other concern that he had was that He was worried that since these sharks had come into the vessel, um, he needed to be gentle about letting this diver know that he wasn't a shark. Mm. And he needed to be, like, kind of cautious about the way he approached this diver because Mm -hmm. they weren't probably anticipating on finding someone alive in there. And so at first it mentioned something about how he, like, touched the back of this guy's neck. But – as I told you before, it was the grabbing of the hand, Mm -hmm. you know, like he, he was just, he squeezed that diver's hand. Like it was his lifeline, which it was,
1: Hey, I'm here.
0: Yeah. And the rescuer, you know, asked him if he was scared, which is about the most ridiculous question I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Well, after he almost pooped his pants (laughs) for that
1: scare. I'm doing good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Not by the way, <laughs> yeah, by the way, this whole time that he's been in the boat at this point is between 60 and 72 hours. Yeah. A long time. A long time. The only thing he's had to consume the entire time is a, is a Coke, which I have no idea where he found it, but apparently he had a Coke and how many calories are in a can of Coke? Like maybe 150. Oh, it's I'm just be making a
1: guess. 160? 300. No. Well, my white claw has a hundred calories in it and it's basically
0: water. So, okay. But coke, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so triple it. at least. It's just not that many calories. He had no water either. Well, so. That's and there's hardcore. nothing
1: really for your body to
0: deal. I mean, it's just sugar. It's just sugar. I mean, at least he was able to maintain his blood sugar, I guess. Yeah. It's not really going to hydrate you that much. Um. So in any case, he was probably super thirsty, and the rescuer gave him some warm water to warm him up, and then they placed a diving helmet on him, and it looked like there were more than one, there was more than one rescuer. Um, So they brought him to a closed diving bell, which I'll explain that in a minute, and then they return that to the surface, and then he goes into a decompression chamber, and to uh, the whole decompression Process. process in a minute. So at the time that he was rescued, some of his relatives had actually been told that he that he and everyone on the tugboat had died.
1: Oh my gosh, it's like Moro Prosper wait, no yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, everybody said that he yeah, died. Yeah.
0: Yeah, everybody like yeah. And and remember that Moro's wife had found out that he was missing before she even reading the paper before she was yeah, even nobody notified. Told her. Yeah. yeah. So it sounded like in this situation somehow the news didn't get quite to his wife and I think that they were trying to protect her. I watched an interview, a portion of an interview with his brother and it sounded like they were trying to like shield her from that. But don't, don't quote me on that. That's just what I it's sort of speculative. Um, so there is a full video of the rescue captured by divers and it was released by DCN diving after a request from the associated press and the beginning of it is, um, Walker talking to his divers about how to get into this boat and how to navigate their way through the boat. And it's, a, it's definitely chilling. I wanted to come up with the transcript so I could read it out loud for you guys, but it's a little bit difficult to hear the divers responses because it's, it sounds electronic, but anyway, it is, it's pretty chilling. So Harrison became what we call an accidental aquanaut. Aquanaut is derived from the Latin word "aqua," obviously that means water, plus the Greek word "nautis," which means sailor, and it's similar to the construction of the word astronaut. Um, so basically, what that means is a person remains underwater, breathing the ambient pressure for long enough for the concentration. Of the inert components of breathing gas to dissolve in the body tissues until it reaches equilibrium, over a period of 24 hours, which is called saturation. I mean, and the that main doesn't thing doesn't sound good. Yeah, I mean, the main thing is that you're you're like in an environment where there's uh, a lot of pressure, and so that changes. I mean, it's we need a scientist to give a better explanation of this, but um, an article from National Geographic called the science behind man surviving underwater for three days describes the basics about how this was possible and this guy eric textall who's a, he's a clinical director and nurse at duke center for hyperbaric medicine he estimates that the amount of space that harrison was in which was 13.5 cubic meters a person has 56 hours before carbon dioxide toxicity creeps up so that's not a whole i mean it's It's a relatively long period of time if you think about it, but I don't know. I mean, considering how much oxygen you would think would be in that space, you're more limited by the CO2 production than you are the amount of oxygen that you have available to you. That's pretty much what this Hextall guy said, is that your limitation is is the CO2 buildup, not the oxygen. And also the other thing is, I didn't know this, but there's more CO2 underwater than on land. So you already have more CO2 versus oxygen in your environment probably to begin with. There's also stages of CO2 toxicity, and so at 50,000 parts per million, people get this buzzing slash high sensation, but at 70,000 parts per million, you lose consciousness rapidly. So his estimation was that Harrison was experiencing CO2 toxicity at 56 hours, but he thinks that it would take about 79 hours for him to be unconscious. So... You know, it sounds like he was rescued between 60 and 72 hours, which puts him pretty close at, pretty close to that brink of no return.
1: That probably aided his sleep process.
0: But you would think that sleeping under those circumstances would be really, really dangerous. Sure.
1: But I'm just thinking the way it affected him probably helped him sleep. That mm-hmm. with all the stress, I, don't know, I think your body kind of shuts down under a certain amount of
0: stress. Yeah, I think you're right. Aside from the CO2 buildup and the reducing amount of oxygen in his environment, the other concern is the high air pressure, which can be deadly underwater. Saturation is really when your blood becomes saturated with nitrogen. The nitrogen can bring on something called nitrogen narcosis, and this happens about 80 feet underwater. And Um, he's like 100 feet underwater. Yeah. Once you get nitrogen narcosis, if you don't come back to the surface, you will likely die. And so this is where this transfer bell comes in. And basically what it is, is a capsule that maintains that pressure of whatever level of water that you're in until you get to the surface. And then he went into this decompression chamber, which like slowly increases the pressure over a prolonged period of time. So your body has time to get rid of that nitrogen. If you don't go through decompression, you can get the bends and And so basically what this means is that all the nitrogen that's in your blood, it comes out of solution and it starts bubbling inside of your body. And so it leads to skeletal pain and breathing problems and neurological problems. And then the other thing that was mentioned is that if you have a There's something called a patent foramen ovale. And so it's a hole in the heart from the right atrium to the left atrium. And so if you most of these nitrogen bubbles end up in the venous system. And of course, the venous circulation has to be oxygenated in the lungs, you know, and then it goes into the arterial system. And if you have a hole in your heart, all of that blood, some of that blood that's going from the venous system passes your lungs. And so you get these bubbles in your arterial system. And then guess what those things can do is they block, they can block off blood flow to the coronary arteries or to your, um, vessels in your brain. And so it can cause heart attack or stroke, which is probably super uncommon, but in any case, there's a lot of risk in just bringing someone up to the surface without going through decompression. It is pretty interesting. And when I was reading through all of this stuff about, uh, different pressure and, decompression and everything and I I thought gosh would I ever go scuba diving I'm not so sure <laughs> not sold <laughs> I don't know I mean I'm sure there are really cool things about it but apparently some people suffer from the bends which is the other name for for this um during a dive so oh. um and it's not really all that deep that you can experience these symptoms well, so
1: clearly since he was only a hundred feet mm-hmm Which, all things considered, is not that deep when we're talking about the ocean.
0: Yeah. So anyway, I have to say that after researching the story, I feel very happy to be not on a boat at this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Firmly on land. Just the concept of being upside down in a dark boat in an air bubble is terrifying. Horrifying. It's like a real-life horror movie. Oh, my goodness, Did yeah. he ever go back to the ocean? You know, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what he ended up doing after this. He didn't have children? <laughs> you know? No, know. I don't know. The, the whole thing. The whole thing is the worst. pretty <laughs> scary. Oh, can you believe it? <laughs> <laughs> he lived. <laughs> yeah, I think he lived because he actually stayed pretty level-headed, but I guess we could say that about a lot of the people we talk about. I think that pretty much sums up our, our story about Harrison O'Kenna. And I hope you join us next week for another riveting episode of this podcast. And also we would be really excited if you would subscribe on Apple podcasts and give us, you know, at least a moderately nice review. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't fall asleep
1: while I was listening to you.
0: You're like two thumbs up. I don't know. Half a smiley face. <laughs> What's half a smiley face? <laughs> wink, wink. Wink. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for listening and have a great rest of your week.
1: Yeah, and stay alive until next Stay week.
0: alive.